Welcome again. Shane kind of faked everybody out in the first service. Everybody sat down when he said he was going to pray. So I guess you guys did better today. So we are starting this new series in the book of Philippians called Joy Invincible. And we're going to look at the greeting uh, today. But uh, we're really going to try to kind of mine some of the spiritual truth that's there. I think, you know, there's certain parts of the Bible that we like when we're reading it. Uh, you know, we can kind of tend to gloss over, uh, like, you know, I mean, I'll just be honest, I've been in the Old, my Old Testament reading recently, I'm in First Chronicles, and those first several chapters of uh, First Chronicles with like those hundreds of names of verses, uh, or hundreds of verses with names in it, it's be a little hard to get into that. Sometimes, you know, in the New Testament, you get the genealogies, or you get the, uh, the greetings, we just kind of tend to uh, run... It's kind of past that. But there's some incredible spiritual truth that we're going to look at these verses today as we talk about who we are in Christ. And that's the question we're going to try to answer is, who am I? And uh, I want to start with this. How many of you have heard of Josh Harris before? You know who he is? Familiar with I Kiss Dating Goodbye, uh, that book. Now, I have to say, I have no familiarity with the book at all, never read it, so I'm not here to say anything about that. I don't want to create any controversy because it does sound like something where some people hate it, some people love it, not trying to start an argument today, and in 2021, you can start an argument by saying the sky's blue, so I don't really want to do that today, but... Uh, so, you know, he wrote this book, blew up, got really popular, and then after that he became a pastor, was a pastor for several years. But, but you may have heard that he's you know, renounced his faith. Uh, the term that a lot of people use for that today is, you know, deconstructing your faith. Uh, the biblical term would be apostasy when a pastor uh, does something like that. But uh, anyway, I just came across an article and that led me to uh, his website and just kind of looking at what he's doing today. And he's doing a variety of things. He's doing uh, like some coaching, but, but he's teaching these seminars. Uh, and, and the seminars, like I said, this is one of the things he's doing. Um, the purpose of it, he says, is to help people to overcome if they've been harmed in their past by purity culture or by religious legalism. And it's $275 a class unless, he says, you were hurt by my teaching before and then it's free. And so it's kind of like what he's saying, and this seems a little cheeky to me, and that's about the nicest word I could come up with. If I messed up your life before, now you can come back to my class, and I'll fix your life now. Now, there's a common denominator there, which is him. But that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, I, had, I tore my ACL 12 years ago and had knee surgery, and it went splendidly. But like if the doctor had messed up my knee instead of fixing my knee and I had to have another surgery to fix the first surgery, I wouldn't have gone back to the same doctor. You know what I'm saying? I'd have found a different doctor. So, um, but anyway, it's kind of what he's teaching in this. It, it, it sounds like Oprah material, honestly, is that, you know, what we need to do is we need a self-realization or a self-actualization. We need to have the courage to break free from our past so we can do whatever we want to do in the present and so that we can, quote, be the truest version of ourselves because we deserve to choose the life that we want. You know, like you do you, that kind of thing. And so the reason I start with this 
is, you know, when he was a pastor, he would have taught that your identity is defined in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, here's the question. How do we define our identity? Who are we? How do we know? How, would, how do we determine that? Can we look at the Bible and say, this is who I am because this is what God says I am? Or when we look at the Bible or Christianity or religion, however you want to say it, is that like a detriment, a barrier, a hindrance to us discovering our true selves and being who we ought to be? That's what the world would say. And I just think that it's just, uh, just it's very interesting that you would have these two extremes combined in one person's life. Which way is it? How do we know? You know, a Christian worldview would say that we're all made in the image of God, but that we're fallen, messed up because of sin. And the answer is the redemption that's found in Jesus Christ where he makes us new. A secular or a humanistic worldview would say that we're all just a bunch of cosmic accidents who are naturally good, but we live in a corrupt society that causes problems for us. And so uh, the answer is this self-actualization, this self-realization, you know, to build our self-esteem, to find out who we really are and, and to live out of that. And, and then as we live out of that, you know, we can change society and create uh, this utopia, and so self-esteem, then, would be the answer. Well, Paul is going to tell us something today that would be the exact opposite of self-esteem, I think. So, as we read the first couple of verses of Philippians, and that's all we're going to look at this morning, you know, this, this is a pretty standard greeting of a letter in that day and time. Now, when we write a letter today, and kids, if you don't know what a letter is, ask your parents, and, or you know, an email or whatever, we usually sign it at the end. They signed it, in, in, in effect, at the beginning. You know, they, they, they named themselves at the beginning and then you know, addressed who it was being written to and then gave some kind of greeting. And, and the reason that, that I think... Uh, you know, we can spend 40, 45 minutes today unpacking this and not just gloss over it. It is because of the spiritual truth that's in it and because there's some phrases in here that are just repeated over and over again in the New Testament that really are, are very instructive to us. In fact, I, I think they can help us define what our true identity is in Christ and help us to live out of that. So, you know, when you're preparing a sermon, speech, whatever, you um, should always ask two questions. What do I want them to know and what do I want them to do? Now, if you're going to preach the Bible, maybe better questions are, what does God want them to know and what does God want them to do? So, I'm just going to give you the message up front in a couple of sentences today. What does God want you to know today? He wants you to know who you are in Christ, that your, relationship, your identity is defined by your relationship in Jesus. And he wants you to live out of that instead of basing your identity on external things. If you're not a Christian, he wants you to enter into a relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, but, but why would we live this way? Let's look at what the text says here. It says, Paul and Timothy, here's the first phrase that I, that I want you to notice. It's really important. It's a lot, found in the New Testament a lot. Bond servants of 
Jesus Christ. Then he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. So, saints in Christ Jesus, this is the second phrase. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So this would imply that it's being addressed to a local church at Philippi, which was like the first European church plant. Paul planted this church. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16. And now Paul being in prison is writing back to them. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So who am I? If you say that you're a Christian, what is your identity? And I want you to see, first of all, in verse 1, that my identity, my identity uh, is defined by my relationship with Jesus. My identity is defined by my relationship with Jesus. Uh, Again, he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. And then he says to all the saints, in Christ Jesus. These two phrases, of Christ Jesus and in Christ Jesus, define who we are in Him. Now, let me point out three things to you about this. And I don't normally word things this way in a sermon, but I'm wording them this way intentionally today so that hopefully these are something, you know, sometimes we need to preach to ourselves. Hopefully you come out of this preaching to yourself that I, I, if you're in Christ, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I'm a saint who is in union with Jesus. And I'm a member of the body of Christ who's in community with the other saints. So number one, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. That's how Paul uh, identifies himself and and Timothy. And it's certainly not true just of them. Uh, The phrase is used a lot in the New Testament. And it's really, it's true of every believer. What does it mean? What's a bondservant? Well, in effect... It's a slave. It's the Greek word doulos. Some people, uh, some Bible commentators think it comes from a Hebrew background in the Old Testament. I think Paul is just simply picking up on, uh, you know, the Roman concept. You know, Rome was rampant with slaves. Um, Philippi was a Roman colony. And so he's not advocating for slavery here in any sense. He's just picking up on something that was a cultural reality and using it to teach a spiritual truth. So what what is he teaching? Well, uh, there's a Greek scholar by the name of Kenneth Wiest who gives this explanation. And so I want to read you a paragraph from him, okay? Paul calls Timothy and himself servants of Jesus Christ. There is no definite article in the Greek which means that they were servants by nature. In other words, if you're in Christ, being a servant is not something you do at its root. It's who you are. And so then the way we live flows out of who we are. Remember, identity always precedes activity. And at the end of the day, how we see ourselves, how we define ourselves, is what will guide us in how we actually live. So, They were servants by nature. The word is doulos and refers to one bound to another. Paul was bound to Jesus Christ by the bonds of a constraining love. It refers to one born into slavery. Paul was born into slavery to sin by his first birth, 
and into the position of a loving bond slave of the Lord Jesus by his new birth. It refers to one who is in a relation to another which only death can break. Paul's relation to Satan was broken by his identification with Christ in his death. He is now in a relation to Jesus Christ which will last forever since Christ can never die again and Paul's life is Christ. Listen to this. It refers to one whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. In other words, to be a Christian means instead of seeking my own will, which is my natural desire, it's about seeking the will of God. Paul's will was at one time swallowed up in the will of Satan. Now his will is swallowed up in the sweet will of God. It refers to one who serves another even to the disregard of his own interest. Paul served Satan to the detriment of his own interest. Now he serves the Lord Jesus Christ with a reckless abandon, not regarding his own interest. One of the most famous missionaries who ever lived is Hudson Taylor, China Inland Mission. And uh, one time he was preaching at something in Australia. And he, he was introduced and, you know, sometimes you go to things, there's like big flowery introductions. Rob and my wife has heard something recently where she said, someone introduced someone who introduced someone who introduced the speaker. This, this kind of thing. And, you know, he, he gets this long flowery introduction touting all of the things that he's done. And so he uh, just walked up on the stage and as he began to preach, the first thing that he said in, in distinction to the introduction was, I'm the humble servant of an illustrious master. That's the idea of being a bond servant. Jesus is my master. I'm his humble servant. Because honestly, if this is who we are, that's pretty humbling. And so I think because we all struggle with pride, we need this reminder. This is who he is. This is who we are. Now, what are some of the implications of this for our lives? Well, number one, I belong to Jesus, so my life is his, not mine. Number two, he's my Lord, I'm under his authority, so that means that I'm responsible to serve and obey him. Number three, and there's probably more, it means though that he knows what's best for me and he's chosen to take responsibility for me and he takes care of me. Now, say bond servant. Why would I want to be someone else's bond servant? I think that's a reasonable question at this point. Why would I surrender my life to someone else? I mean, this may even be, this whole concept may be offensive to you. So let me just address that question. Why should I surrender my life to Jesus? Well, can I just give you four reasons, four responses to that question? Number one, simply because He is Lord. He is the Lord God Almighty. And really, at the end of the day, our surrender is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Here's the deal. You ever heard somebody say, maybe you even heard somebody preach, you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You ever, you ever heard that before? You know what I'm talking about? Um, can I just tell you something? You can't make Jesus something that he already is. 
You don't make Jesus the Lord of your life. He is the Lord of your life. The only question is, are you going to acknowledge that, confess that, surrender to him, and be saved? Or will you have to do it someday at the judgment seat of Christ when it won't do you any good then? In Revelation 1.8, Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty. Philippians uh, chapter 2, we'll get to this uh, great passage in a few weeks, says that God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's not a question of when you're, if, if you're going to surrender. It's a question of if. Or, or when, it's not a question of if you're going to surrender. It's a question of when are you going to surrender. So it's just who he is. That's his position. You know what? There's something, th- this just blows me away, this second reason. You understand, according to Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus humbled himself and became a bondservant and then went to the cross for us? In other words, he's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done first. Look at what Philippians 2 says. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, which literally means who being in very nature God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself of the outward display of his divinity. Here's that phrase, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now think about it. You have the eternal God and the glory and splendor and majesty of heaven. Worship forever. Coming to earth as a man, as a bondservant. Meaning that he, in his incarnation, in his humanity, he surrendered his will to the will of the Father. Think the Garden of Gethsemane. He submitted himself uh, as a man to obeying uh, the, the law of God. He lived as one of us, but that's not the lowest he went. The lowest he went wasn't even in being a bondservant. It was dying the death of a common criminal on the cross. He did that for us. That's what he's done for us. He gave himself fully for us, and now in return what he asks is he asks us to give ourselves fully to him. He deserves it. He's worthy of our lives because of who he is and because of what he's done for us. But number three, here's the reality. Why should we surrender our lives to Jesus? Because we're going to be a slave to something. We're going to be a slave to something. Romans 6.16 says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? See, if we surrender to Jesus, if we're his slave, we find freedom in him. But if we try to be free of him and do our own thing, then we become in bondage to sin. And then flowing out of that, the, the, the last reason would be, if you read the rest of Romans chapter 6, and I'm not going to read it all for time's sake, but really, the fruit of our lives is determined by who we're surrendered to. 
You know, the end of that passage says the wages of sin is death. So let me say this in a less spiritual sounding kind of way. When I try to run my own life, when I try to be in charge of my own destiny, I have always screwed my life up. That's what he's saying. So because of these reasons, I think the wisest thing we can ever do is to actually surrender to Jesus. It's what Paul said in Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, which means in light of everything that God has done for us through the cross of Jesus Christ, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of service, or it could be translated your logical act of worship. Are you surrendered to Christ? They say, well, now hang on, Jimmy. Are you saying you're always surrendered to Jesus? You're always obedient? You always live uh, like a bondservant and do everything he wants you to do? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is this. I acknowledge him as the Lord over my life and know that everything belongs to him. And when I sin, when I am not surrendered to him, when I do my own thing, the Holy Spirit convicts me and, and draws me to, to repentance. And the li- living the Christian life, it's not that we're always perfect. It, there's always a battle going on inside of us. And this is where the rubber meets the road every day, if we're honest. Am I going to do my will? Am I going to try to be in charge? Or am I going to be surrendered to Jesus and do his will? But if we're really saved, even when when we blow it, even when we do our own thing, the Spirit of God is dealing with us and we live a life of ongoing repentance. That is the mark of a Christian. Listen, this is who you are. Remember, servants by nature. The thing that we cannot have is saying, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to be forgiven. I want to go to heaven, but it's still my life. If you think it can be that way, you're not really saved. That's just the reality of the New Testament. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? When we come to Christ, we trust him for who he is. And he is Savior, Lord, Master, God, and King. And what happens in salvation is he becomes my Savior, Lord, God, Master, and King. So, who are we? We're bond servants of Jesus Christ. That's the challenging part. Here's the encouraging part of this verse, though. As the verse goes on, it says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus. Do you know you're a saint? You ever thought about that? Sounds a little weird to, to even let, Let's say it together on the count of three. One, two, three. I am a saint. Sounds a little tentative. Sounds a little weird, right? Some of you, your spouse pokes you in the ribs, right? It's like, no way. You're, no way you're a saint. I'm not buying that. Um, you know, saint, we, we, we have trouble accepting that, I think, because, you know, I think we struggle with guilt. Again, even as Christians, we tend to define ourselves by our past, by our sins, by our failures, by our shortcomings. We struggle with those kind of things, if, if we're honest about it. Or maybe we've uh, you know, heard about Catholics and saints, and you know, it's these special super holy people that get canonized after all this process, you know, all these years after uh, their death, and there's only a few thousand of them out of all the Christians who have ever lived. But that's not what the New Testament says here. 
in many other places. To all the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi. It's obviously addressing every true believer in this local church, every true believer in the body of Christ. A saint is a person set apart to God by virtue of a personal relationship with him. That's how one Bible dictionary uh, defines it. Um, there's a man by the name of Harry Ironside. He <clears throat> was a famous preacher in the 20th century. And one time he was traveling on a train for like four days from the West Coast back to Chicago. And there was a group of nuns on the train. And, and they got acquainted with each other and they began discussing the Bible uh, together. And so at one point he, he asked them, he said, you ever met a saint? They said, no. He said, would you like to meet a saint? Uh, he said, uh, they said, Yes. He said, well, I can uh, introduce you to one. They're like, really? And like, we'd like to, to meet him or her. It's like, okay, it's me. I'm a saint. I'm Saint Harry. And, of course, that confused them because they're nuns. But then he opened up the Bible and showed them verses like this. And it's what the Bible's teaching. Now, does that mean um, you should just go around saying, hey, Nice to meet you. I'm St. Glenn or I'm St. Mandy or something like that. No, people are just going to think you're one of those weird Christians or think you're arrogant or something like that. But, but here's what it means on a practical level. Colossians 1, 21, 22, the Bible says, You who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now, and I love this phrase, he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. In other words, God created us, made us in his image. We're separated, torn apart from him by sin. But it's literally the body, the flesh, crucified on the cross of Jesus Christ that's the bridge, that's the go-between that connects us back to God. And so out of that, if we're in Christ, it says that he presents us holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Now think about that. Think about everything. Well, no, don't think about everything. Think about like some of the, your most embarrassing moments, some of your worst sins, the things that you still struggle with guilt over. That's what's in your brain. But what's in the mind of God, if you're in Christ, he doesn't see all that anymore. He sees you as his child in Christ, clothed with his righteousness, holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. That's what makes you a saint, the finished work of Jesus Christ, not some process of the Catholic Church because you've been super holy and done some miracles and these kind of things. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ. This is who we are. We're in Christ Jesus. This is the key to living the Christian life is realizing that we are in union with him, that the life of Jesus Christ is now in us, that we died to sin in him. We've been raised to walk in the newness of life in him, that Christ lives in us now, that all the promises of God in him are yes and amen, that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1.3, that according to Colossians 2.9 and 10, that in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. And, and so that means that in Christ, in this union with him, that you and I have everything that we need to be and to do, that everything, everything that God has called us to be and do, not in ourselves, but in this union with Christ, his life living in us, his life flowing through us. And so once we understand that we can't live the Christian life effectively on our own, any more than we can save ourselves, and we begin to trust Him 
and live in dependence upon him, that's when we experience victory in the Christian life. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus said, John 15.5, I am the vine, you are the branches. That's this union, this connection, his life flowing through, to, through us and to us and through us. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Are we living connection to him and dependence upon him? How do we do that? We do that by looking to him, trusting him, spending time with him in prayer and in his word, confessing sins, being filled with the spirit, keeping this connection between the vine and the branches so his life can flow through us. This is who we are. God's not left us on our own to, to try to live the Christian life in our own strength, in our own ability. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. So this is who we are. I'm a saint in union with Jesus Christ. I'm a bondservant of Jesus. But then third, what's my identity that's in my relationship with Jesus? I'm a member of the body of Christ living in community with the saints. Again, he, he says here, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with uh, the bishops and the deacons. He's clearly addressing a local church. All the saints in Philippi. He planted this church. The bishops and the deacons, this word bishop, there's three different Greek words that are translated for what we usually refer to the office as the office of pastor. They're translated into five uh, English words. Bishop, shepherd, pastor, um, overseer, and, and elder. And they have different nuances of, of, of meaning, but they all refer to the same office. Uh, they're always in the plural in the New Testament. That's why we have a plurality of pastors at, at True Life. And then the, the deacons were the servants of the church. He's clearly talking to a, a local church. And so the point is this. In Christ, despite the rampant individualism of our country, our identity is not just defined by us. It's defined within the community of the believers. Here's what that means practically. Eugene Peterson has put it this way. There can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in and embrace of community. It's why our philosophy of ministry at True Life is that we are a church of small groups that we need each other. It's why we encourage you so much to be plugged into a community of believers. But this is the last thing that, that Peterson says, and I hope it's short. Uh, it's like half a dozen words, and I hope this sticks with us. He says, I am not myself by myself. I am not myself by myself. I mean, think about all the people that shaped Paul's life how he talked about people coming and ministering to him. How this man who moved so much and was so active and, and, and so busy literally names hundreds of people in his letters that he's in relationship with. All kinds of fellow believers. But I, I think about this in, in terms of, of, of my life and just the impact the body of Christ has made on my life. 
a lot of who I am today is because of other Christians. A lot of the reason I'm standing here right now sharing God's word with you is because of other Christians. I stand on other people's shoulders. Now, sometimes people be like, eh, the church is outdated, irrelevant, it's all messed up, all these kind of things. I've gotten hurt in church, you know, a bunch of hypocrites, all these kind of things. You're not a Christian. I get that. I'm sorry for our flaws and failures. At the end of the day, it's not about us. It's about a perfect Savior. We don't claim to be perfect. We don't claim to be better than you. Uh, we know we're so messed up that we need a Savior, that grace is our only hope. If you're a Christian, though, got to rip out a lot of your New Testament to have an attitude like that. And can I just remind you, you're part of the imperfection and hypocrisy too, so you can sit around and judge everybody else, but you might want to start looking in the mirror. I mean, the church is the bride of Christ. And a decent man, which Jesus is obviously way more than that, usually gets pretty fired up over his bride. Right? You know, I think if you're a godly man, somebody insults you, you probably just ought to take it. Think if you're a godly man, somebody insults your wife, you probably just shouldn't take it. And you say, well, Jimmy, haven't you been hurt by the church? I've been a pastor for 25 years. That's a ridiculous question. I'm not on everybody's Christmas card list. I mean, somebody I've never even met before blessed me out the other night to the point that I just eventually had to hang up because she just wouldn't stop. I mean, she just kept on and on and on and on. But can I just tell you again, that's just life. I mean, we're imperfect people. You get imperfect people together, imperfect things happen. But there's nothing that has enriched my life more than the local church. I mean, first pastor I remember when I was a kid, then Ken Cole, a lot, of, a lot of you know him. You know, I couldn't tell you a thing he ever preached. You know, I'm like, three, four years old, but I remember him giving me high fives and hugging me and I remember feeling loved. I mean, I remember one time being the ring bearer when I was at a wedding, I don't know, probably around four or five years old, something like that. And, uh, you know, adult men don't really understand weddings, so like a kindergartner uh, definitely doesn't get it. You know, but I was the ring bearer and you got this ring on this pillow and all this kind of thing. And after the ceremony, like I lost the ring. But I thought it was like the real ring, and I thought I messed everything up, and I'm upset about it. I'm thinking these people can't be married. So J.B. Gully, some of you know him, pastor for a long time, Westside Funeral Home. You know, he's wearing a suit. He literally got on his hands and knees, crawling around the church, trying to help me find that ring. I remember that. I remember some of my Sunday school teachers from when I was a kid. The lady who led our Bible drill. My youth leader, Rusty Arwood's mom, Teresa, you know, let me hear me talk about uh, Jack, his dad, who was my mentor as I started in ministry. Other pastors that I've had, pastor friends that I have, you know, seminary professors. You know, you heard me talk about Dr. Danny Aiken earlier this summer. You know, I think about, 
you know, the, a deacon from Manly Baptist Church who went above and beyond to serve our family when uh, Robin's mom had an aneurysm and died a few days later. You know, I remember the deacon who drove us from Frederick, Maryland to Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C. when they were flying Molly down there on a helicopter when she was two days old. And, you know, I could go on and on and on and on. I could talk about a lot of you in this room, people who have walked with us through different trials and tragedies in our lives, people who pray for us, people who have encouraged us. Listen, you know, if, if you think you stand on your own, I think you're foolish. I stand on a lot of shoulders. And I say, praise God, and I say, thank you, and I say that that's how God has designed it to be. We need each other. We need the church. We need small groups. We need accountability. We need encouragement. And you know what? We need each other's imperfections. That's part of how we grow. So, if you're a Christian, you can't just define yourself by yourself, but you have to understand, I am not myself by myself, but we're defined within the body of Christ. So, my identity is defined by my relationship with Jesus, which means I am a bondservant of Jesus. I am a saint in union with Jesus. I'm a member of the body of Christ in community with the saints. But and let me just close by, let's look at verse 2 quickly. Verse 2 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what this says to us in a sense? It says that my identity is received, not achieved. My identity is received, not achieved. My identity, who I am because of who I am in Christ, is a gift of the grace of God that's given to me in salvation. That's what makes me a child of God. That's what places me in union with Jesus. You know, the biblical order is always grace, then peace. You can't really have spiritual peace apart from the grace of God. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.8, we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Romans uh, chapter 5 verse 1 says, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. I think my life's verse is 1 Corinthians 15.10. It says, I am who I am. I am what I am by the grace of God. And so, if that's true, this means that who I am is not by my own achievement, but it's what Jesus has done for me. And again, going back to where I started, it's two different, completely different ways to live life. But we're going to go in one of those directions. And again, a lot of Christians are trying to achieve and create their own identity instead of living out of who they are in Christ. And so, what practically, and this comes from Tim Keller, kind of paraphrase, but, you know, the world says our identity is achieved. You can be who you want to be. You can, you know, create yourself and, and, and all these kind of things. And there's some truth in that. But here's the problem. 
What, what if your identity is in success and then you fail? What if your identity is in a job and you lose your job? What if your identity is in material things and you don't have those things? What if your identity is in being an athlete and you blow out your knee and you're not the athlete that you were anymore? What, what, what if your identity is in a relationship and either that relationship's not possible or it falls apart? Then who are you? And so if, if you're basing your identity on outward things that you can't control, how can you ever be secure? Because any of those things can be taken away from you at any moment. Even beyond that, what this leads to, because it's something that we do, is if we achieve our identity, our head swells. If we fail to achieve, achieve our identity, our heart's crushed. And a lot of people live their lives in this vacillation between pride and crushed. Oh, I'm good, I'm okay, I'm successful, then I'm not. And you know how I know it, it doesn't work when I look at people and when I look at society? It's because we live in a society that denies sin but is racked with guilt. We live in a society that touts self-esteem as the ultimate virtue, but we're the most depressed society, or the most depressed we've ever been in our history. We espouse freedom, but live in bondage. It doesn't work. You know, there's a religious version of this. The religious version is, you know, I work hard, I'll be good, I'll go to church, I'll do the right things, and if I obey enough, God's going to accept me. That's legalism. That's crushing. That's what a lot of people are reacting against when they reject Christianity. But can I just tell you, if you're struggling with that, you're rejecting the wrong God. I mean, if that's your Savior, I'm with you in rejecting that. But this is the gospel. The gospel says, I've been given the gift of grace that has made me a new person. And I am who I am in Jesus Christ. It says that I am accepted, therefore I can obey. I don't obey to get accepted. I obey because I am accepted. And so because of that, a Christian really then can be humble and confident at the same time because our confidence is in the Lord and not in ourselves. We're humble because we know we deserve to be in hell, and it's only by the grace of God that we have any hope. But we can be confident knowing that we're accepted and knowing that we're loved even when we blow it, even when we mess up, even when we're not who we think we ought to be. We're accepted in the beloved. We're accepted in Jesus Christ. We can be flawed and loved at the same time. And so uh, success doesn't have to go to our head or failure doesn't have to crush our heart because it's ultimately not about me. It's about Christ in me. And this is the security that God wants us to live out of. So what does he want you to know? If you're a Christian, he wants you to know that's what defines your identity. That you're a bondservant of Christ. You're in union with Christ. You're part of the community of the saints. But it's not something you achieved. 
It's something you receive by grace. And if you're not a Christian, He wants you to receive Him and receive this new identity, this new life, by His grace. Through what Jesus has done for you. He wants you to trust Jesus, to surrender to Him. And listen, our flesh fights against surrendering. But listen, just be honest. Apart from Christ, you're a slave from sin. You're going to be somebody's slave. Stop letting sin wreck your life and surrender. Listen, some of you are talking about being a Christian, but but you're not surrendered to Christ. And the reality is, you may be hiding it well, you may think you're hiding it well, but that sin, maybe it's the secret sin, is is wrecking your life. Listen, and, and Satan is lying to you, and he's condemning you, and he's telling you that's who you are, and that you could never be honest about it, and that you're always going to be stuck in it. But Jesus is saying to you, no, you may be flawed, but you're accepted, you're loved, it's by grace, you can be honest with me. You can be honest with other people. I'll set you free. I've made you new. You belong to me. There's grace for you. Just surrender. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes if we could. Father, I pray, just again, that through the truth of your word and the power of your spirit, that you would renew our minds, that we would see who Jesus is, that we'd see what he's done for us, and that we would see who we are in him. Lord, I pray that every believer will be able to live out of that and that you would draw those who don't know you to you. If you're a Christian, are you stuck in your past? Are you believing what other people say about you? Today, will you begin to believe what Jesus says about you? That you're graced, that you're accepted, that you're loved, that you're a child of God. There's something you're holding back from Him. Will you surrender that to Him today? If you're not a Christian, here in the room, online, God's working in your heart and you've got the faith to believe in Jesus. You believe He died for you. You believe He rose from the dead. Will you act on that? Repent of your sins. Acknowledge Him. Confess Him as the Lord of your life. Surrender to Him in faith, trusting Him, relying completely on what He has done for you for your salvation. The Bible says, if we believe in our heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We just call on His name, confess Him as Lord, confess your faith to Him today. If you've got questions about that, you need maybe just some further explanation, come see me when we're finished. Talk to somebody you know, or if you're online, uh, just connect with our online host in the chat room, or you can text TLC Decision to 94000. We'd love to follow up with you. Father, thank you for your grace. God, thank you for the finished work of Christ. Thank you for making us new. Lord, help us to believe that, live out of that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, again, we're not, we're not quite...